You're listening to WNHH Community Radio 103.5 FM. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging deep into stories of food, radical love, and creative social justice. A few months ago, my family and I were invited to my friend Julian Kafar's house for dinner. She and I had done some community food education work together, so I knew the meal would be fabulous and filled with some homegrown veggies and lots of very intentionally sourced and prepared ingredients. My big surprise came when she placed two glass carafes on the table. They were sweating from the cool water inside, and she said they were from a spring she goes to each month to collect water for her family. Well, my jaw just dropped. I took a sip and it was delicious, really, really delicious. Despite a lifetime of thinking about healthy food and eating unprocessed ingredients, it had never really occurred to me to go find fresh spring water straight from the earth to drink every day. I joked that it was raw water, but I was seriously intrigued and asked if I could join her on the hour-long trek to see this spring and how she manages to haul 33 gallons of water home each month for her family. The threats to clean drinking water are only becoming more and more clear. The catastrophe of contaminated water in Flint, Michigan, or the hurricanes that ravaged Puerto Rico, Texas, and beyond are leaving many without access to clean drinking water. Julianne opened my eyes to a world of natural springs where people have been gathering clean, pure water for generations, and I'm so grateful to share the experience with you. Wow, Julian, this is amazing. So we're here at the spring. What town are we in again? This is Harwinton, Connecticut. And we're at a spring right on the side of the road that is coming out right from under somebody's house, basically. How did you find this place? I found it on a website called findaspring.com. And it has people submit springs that they find around the country and actually around the world. You can find lots of different, different springs in your area. So I went on that website and I checked out a couple different springs in the Connecticut area, but this was the one that I found that I liked the best. So this is like you're harvesting water for your family. Yes. It is raw water from the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Just like eating raw food. And it's delicious. And it's right now it's very cold. And if you were to drink this, it's just this fabulous feeling of fresh earth (laughs) and um yeah it's delicious it's a completely different experience than tap water how does it feel different or taste different to you um it just has a different I guess because of the mineral profile and and the lack of chlorine and fluoride and all the stuff that you know comes through the pipes through municipal water systems um this is just very it's gone through a natural filtration system of the earth. And so it's gone through lots of rocks and soil and, and it's kind of, oh, let me just finish this one. <laughs> um, the next one under. Yeah, so it, it's filtered very differently than our city water is. So it tastes very different as well. You have these beautiful big glass Jar, are those two gallon? These are three gallon. Three gallon jars. Oh, you want 
Does it feel sort of like a sacred thing to come and get water like this? Yeah, it it feels like a way to connect more with nature and with the earth. It, we're not, you know, in the woods or anything here, but just kind of knowing the source of the water and thinking about just the effort it takes to come here and, you know, the time that it takes to do this. It, yeah, it does feel like kind of a sacred experience for me. Yeah. Feel, just watching the water, even though I've seen lots of springs, the idea that you're taking home like 10 jars of water. This is like your drinking water for yeah, your family. Yeah, yeah. You know, I we, we think a lot about our food being organic and we think about our, we, you know, go to the gym and we think about taking care of our bodies, but I think water... Sometimes we don't think through our, our water, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, tap water, obviously. But, you know, when, when thinking through all these different things in my life, I realized that water was something I hadn't really thought through. And, and there were certain health reasons, too, that I wanted a different source for my water. I have thyroid disease, so um, there's a lot of added flor- fluoride and chlorine to our water system, and those are two elements that if you have thyroid disease, you don't want a lot of in your body. So I knew I needed to find a filtration system. And so I, you know, I went down the road of looking at all the different filters and it was getting really expensive with that. And then um, really when you find a filter that actually can get rid of the fluoride, you are getting rid of all the trace minerals as well. And you don't want to get rid of your trace minerals. So that's when I started looking at spring water. Yeah, if you think about the expense of buying a fancy water filtration system and then... You're still taking out all the good stuff, you know? There's good stuff in water, too, that you want to make sure you get. What do all the trace minerals do? Why is it important to have them? Well, um, there are lots and lots of different processes that our cells use in our body like for making energy and for um, just all the different functions that are required for our life really for our blood for our lymph there's just minerals are involved in pretty much every single chemical process in our bodies so um, there's different ways you can get your minerals but water is one of the ones that we as humans have been getting these yeah these little little trace minerals have come from our water source for eons so yeah it's so beautiful (laughs) i love seeing the bottles sweating like just the coolness from i love it when they get like that yeah (laughs) so julianne how often do you come out here to get water i come out once a month usually that's how long it takes us to go through 11 three gallon jugs. Alright, this one's almost full. Um, I, had, I had tests done on this water before I started drinking it because I was nervous <laughs> about, you know, am I going to get sick? But it turns out that this water is amazingly clean and the lab that did the tests said that it was just great water to be drinking. So I feel very confident that Yeah, it's giving me what I need. So one of the reasons that I just, I love coming out here and and gathering the water is because I feel like it incorporates all the different aspects of my life that 
are meaningful to me. So it's nutrition, it's spirituality and, and connection with nature, it's movement and lifting heavy things. <laughs> and yeah, it's time alone a lot of the time. So it's just all these things that are really nourishing and meaningful to me come together in this one experience. Do you feel like this is like an insane luxury and, and crazy and, and feel guilty about it sometimes? Or do you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I, I do because not everyone I know can just drive up, you know, an hour away and gather their fresh spring water. So I know of course it sounds a little weird. I'm a little crazy with the things that I do, but, but that's why we love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do struggle with that, that, piece and you know it's I feel that with every aspect of my life you know with the food I eat and and just the way my life is so but at the same time I feel like if I can why not well, and it's also a special thing. You have two little boys and two brown boys who are getting this really special experience in their life of eating all this really intentionally made yes. and harvested, collected food, which yes. is really special. Yeah. Yeah. Nutrition is, is very important to me, and it's a way that I express love very much. So mm. for me, it's as a mom, I feel like it's just really important to me. Yeah. I totally relate to that. Just giving food and nourishing is love. And when I came to your house and you were like, this is our spring water that we've collected. I was like, oh my God. I mean, I think about the water, you know, we drink yeah. like tap water that has a little filter on it, but I know that it is not filtering anything yeah. really meaningful out of the water. And I never had really thought of going and collecting water from a spring and how special that is that your family is getting to, this is like your most vital nutrient yeah. that you eat every day. So yeah. it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Our bodies are made up of what 70% water so it's good water yours is made up of good 70% <laughs> water <laughs> mine is chlorinated <laughs> so when you come here are there sometimes a lot of other people waiting to fill up their bottles yeah that's that's actually really fun when there's other people here waiting um, and we strike up conversations I've met people who've been coming here for 40 years uh, 20 years and people just they just swear by this water for all kinds of health reasons like one woman was saying how it helps her arthritis and and um yeah people just love their water it's kind of a hot spot and I, I hear that they get like a hundred people on weekends sometimes so it's it can be really busy have you had to wait a really long time sometimes yes. yeah once I waited for an hour yeah and do most people bring as many containers as you do or no, I think most of the people are locals, and at least from around the area. So most people will show up with maybe like five to ten gallon, you know, plastic jugs, and they just fill those and come back as needed. But um, yeah, I come from pretty far. I don't think a lot of people come from as far as I do. <laughs> yeah. And why do you use glass instead of the plastic? There's the plastics do leach chemicals, and because part of the experience is like this pure groundwater. I just want to keep it nice and pure. So I use this Italian glass that I invested some money in these glass bottles, but I know that they're good and they're not going to leach chemicals into my water. And you'll have them for a very, very and long I will time. I'll have them forever, <laughs> hopefully. 
Does your family like it, having this water? Oh, they love it. It's, yeah, it's delicious. And my boys have become a little bit of water snobs, which <laughs> I'm, I regret. But, you know, it's, it's fun. They, they like the taste of it. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can just start covering these. With yeah, so what are you doing? I am covering them with vests and blankets because they're glass bottles and it's a way to keep them insulated. The vests work really well for storage because you don't want the water to be exposed to light otherwise you'll get green stuff growing in it so this the vests keep the light out and they keep it kind of insulated where do you keep them in your house so that they don't get exposed to light well they're on a very bright front porch but i try to kind of hide them underneath a cabinet and then i try to the ones that are out that are more exposed i use those first thank you so much for sharing this really special trip with me and this beautiful thing that you this beautiful ritual that you do for your family it really feels like a ritual I know you're just thinking you're like harvesting water for your family but it feels really sacred to me is, doing this it with is you sacred. it is a ritual and I'm so glad that you could join me yeah thanks <laughs> so we're back at your house after we collected this beautiful water from the spring and we didn't actually drink any of it together so I wanted no. to drink some can you pour a little water for us sure okay let's taste this water it's really cool all right yes cheers cheers oh my god that is so good it's so good <laughs> what do you notice that's different about it there's no chlorine smell or taste is the first thing mm -hmm. I notice. Um, it tastes just like really clean mm -hmm. and really fresh mm -hmm. and doesn't have any weird flavors. Like yeah. I love water, mm -hmm. but it, when I tasted this, it just, it yeah. feels very alive in a yeah. certain way. It's interesting when you go to different cities, like when you travel and you drink the tap water, I feel like I can always taste different you know, it just, each city's water tastes really different. But um, when I started drinking this water, now I even notice more how strong tap water tastes. Like it's not something you're really aware of if right. you're drinking it all the time. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I sort of assumed that having more spring water, it would have more of like a mineral taste, like mm -hmm. water that I've sometimes had in other countries, mm -hmm. but it doesn't taste minerally mm -hmm. at all it's like very sort of neutral tasting and very clean tasting to me yeah and that can also vary you know between different springs some springs have more mineral content than others depending on what's in the the earth underneath this water just makes me smile so <laughs> yeah. I wish I had 30 gallons of it in my house <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask you about is water as a justice issue so I think I said to you, you know, this is an amazing privilege mm -hmm. that you have to go yeah. do this. But as I was reflecting on that more, I was thinking, actually, this really shouldn't be a privilege. And mm -hmm. this really seems to me as also an issue of justice and, and a right. And I was wondering what you mm -hmm. thought about water as as a right for people. Yeah. It's interesting how the things that are just the most important in life um, are commodified like water you know water something that for all of human history has just flown freely and it has been the most natural pure thing and and 
we've had access to it, you know, people, civilizations formed around sources of water. Right. So along rivers, along, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's central to our existence as humans. So the fact that now to get a glass of pure, fresh water is almost impossible for most people. Right. Um, if you don't have the ability to travel to a spring, then your options are your tap water, filtered water, or bottled water, right. and um, and just all the issues that are around even bottled water. But um, the fact that we are getting further and further removed from our access to water. If you think about even the aquifers in California that are drying up, you know, f- forever there's been aquifers full of of water that the state of California has used for its farming industry, and no one ever thought that that would dry up, but suddenly mm-hmm. that water is almost gone. Yeah, I mean, if you think about all of the ways that water is in jeopardy right now, the Dakota yes. Access Pipeline, yeah. with mm-hmm. the hurricanes. And with with just the sources Michigan. of water being contaminated and yes. the lead and yeah. and all of the stuff that, that uh, all the ways that water is processed. Mm-hmm. And that's how it becomes inaccessible to people is because it's, being more and more processed right and and that's how it's you know also health wise it's hurting us in many different ways it's hurting us because of the toxins and pollutants that come in through pipes that are you know deteriorating in urban areas Mm -hmm. it comes to the plastics that we're ingesting through all of the water bottles that we're using it's um yeah I mean I think that despite how many times people think about eating organic food or trying to eat healthy food whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like for them that we often forget about water. And I think there's been a number of recent major massive Mm -hmm. events that Mm -hmm. have happened that are really bringing the importance of water to the forefront. And totally the idea that there's a website called find a spring or that some of them are not necessarily located that far away from, from places. There's a spring at common ground Mm -hmm. school, um, in West rock in new Haven. And I think there are urban springs Mm -hmm. and just the idea that maybe it's not so hard to get to, um, but finding out yeah. what the quality of water there is is important, of course. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point that you bring up, that there is a spring here in New Haven. Actually, there's a couple of springs. There's also one in East Rock Park. Um, but those springs, the quality of that water has been, um, it's a little polluted. If uh, I know mm. that the Common Ground Spring was tested, and I think you, you can still drink it, but it's not the cleanest source because of some, I guess there's a quarry behind it. And, um, okay. So one interesting thing that we could kind of consider in terms of water justice, I think it's one of those issues that it feels really hard to do anything about, you know, we protested, um, about standing rock, you know, you can get yourself involved in these faraway issues, but what's really important is our water here, right here in New Haven. And like, what are some things we can do to protect our water here? in our town. And I think maybe, um, getting involved in the conversations about how to clean up the water that's going to the springs right. <laughs> in these areas and, and just taking care of our rivers and our, um, our sources, our groundwater. Yeah. There are some community groups that are working on that and, mm-hmm. and also some of the storm drain runoff things yeah. that are mm-hmm. happening. So I know the West River Neighborhood Association is in partnership mm-hmm. with other groups working on, on those issues yeah. and the bioregional groups. So mm-hmm. definitely people can get involved if they want to. 
Thank you so much. Thank for you. With me this and for letting me taste this water. Absolutely. Despite all my knowledge of food, this is like really eye opening for me and delicious. Thank you. Thank you. You can see more about this water harvesting adventure at thetableunderground.com, including gorgeous photos by Rachel Liu. You might have heard her snapping some pictures in the background while we were collecting water. You're listening to WNHH 103.5 Community Radio. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. The Black Art Jazz Collective has been called a cross-section of jazz's leading voices and is dedicated to celebrating Black cultural and political icons, as well as preserving the historical significance of African Americans in jazz. The collective was co-founded by saxophonist Wayne Scoffrey, trumpeter Jeremy Pelt, and drummer Jonathan Blake. This all-star ensemble of musicians are prominent in the international and New York jazz scene, both as leaders in their own right and invaluable members of ensembles led by legends like Tom Harrell, Bobby Hutcherson, Wayne Shorter, and Ron Carter. The first album from the Black Art Jazz Collective features original compositions from members of the group, including a piece dedicated to W.E.B. Du Bois, as well as two songs inspired by former President Barack Obama, and one inspired by African-American abolitionist and women's rights activist Sojourner Truth. In August 2017, the group played a live concert in New Haven, Connecticut at the Neighborhood Music School Twilight Tuesday series. Knowing my old friend Wayne Escoffrey would be returning to the music school of his youth, I managed to catch up with him and co-founder Jeremy Pelt for a quick interview before their sound check. The music clips you'll hear were recorded live at this show and are all original tracks from their 2014 album. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Tegan. Hi, Tegan. Thanks for joining me. I wanted to find out a little bit from you about what inspired you, what motivated you to start the Black Art Jazz Collective. In about 2013, um, I called up uh, two of my closest friends, Jeremy and uh, Jonathan Blake, um, the drummer of the Black Art Jazz Collective. And uh, we had a little conversation and just uh, talked about our kind of uh, agreed need that uh, that we wanted to celebrate African-American culture and celebrate this music in a really positive way and kind of unapologetically um, um, celebrate uh, the origins of the music. And, uh, you know, we thought we would do that by uh, playing original compositions and, uh, and making an album and hopefully touring all over the place. And it really just started out with an idea that I had um, with two friends and then uh, it, it took off and people seemed to really enjoy it. Yeah, uh, at that time, there needed to be something uh, that was representative of, of, on a, I think, a larger scale of black culture, particularly in the music that uh, we started. And uh, so Jonathan and I were uh, eager to, to follow Wayne in this, the process of getting that uh, out. So both of you play with a number of jazz groups, really big name and very high quality jazz groups. And so what were you feeling wasn't represented in that, that you do feel is represented in, in the Black Art Jazz Collective? Well, for me, it wasn't so much that it wasn't being represented in the groups that I played in, um, but it was more that, um, you know, there was kind of a dialogue. I mean, I, in a way, I don't really like talking about it because I don't, I don't want to wear it, you know, I don't want this to, 
uh, you know, be seen as a, as, a, as, a, as a negative thing at all. But, you know, at, that, at one point there was kind of a dialogue um, that was, uh, uh, you know, turning into a uh, uh, kind of a weird disease wherein, you know, it, it's easy to forget um, the history or ignore it or to just not mention it. And there was a weird dialogue going on where people were almost, you know, it was almost, uh, it was almost, uh, yeah, it was very divisive and it was almost politically incorrect to say um, this is black music. Um, jazz is black music. You know, if you couldn't say that um, without someone having something uh, uh, adverse to say about that or, 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 or argumentative to say about that. And it was, kind of, it was kind of a weird thing because I know Jeremy and myself, well, all of us in the Black Art Jazz Collective, we were from a certain generation and we came up, you know, studying under um, a lot of the people that are, past, that are that passed on now, like Jackie McLean and a lot of great musicians. And you couldn't say the things that we were hearing musicians say when those guys were alive. I mean, you couldn't, um, there was no argument when Jackie McLean said this is black American music. I mean, there was no argument to be made there uh, opposing that view. And uh, in many ways, because of uh, because these guys are getting older or because they're leaving us, um, it leaves uh, too much room for people to start saying things and for, and for people to kind of change history. Well, and also to that effect, you know, I think uh, just piggybacking off of what Wayne is saying, the funny thing about the way things are now currently in society and even back then it was only four years ago is that it's either uh in to be black or it's taboo you know and uh whichever way you see it 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 for us it didn't it, we didn't start it to be something that was exclusionary to the to the uh for for us to be like no okay we're pushing everybody out because it's some something that's supposed to be uh as it always has been uh, respected and, and 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 enjoyed by everyone, mm -hmm. but I I think we did feel the need and rightfully so to really establish that this is something that is um, that we're sharing that comes out of a particular experience mm -hmm. because see what happens in this music is that and, and and in the music business period is that there's only a few people that are controlling the way things are happening and dictating. Now there's a lot of creativity. People make no doubt about that. There's creative creative aspects from everybody, of every background and whatnot. But when it comes to what's being put out there, there's always the same people that are dictating the shift of how things go. And one of the things that we, we noticed is that the black aspect of the music which is which has always been the stronghold and indeed was also been the thing that whether people wanted to uh, to acknowledge it or not has been the thing that has drawn you in and that made the music unique and that made the music unique is is trying to be phased out largely because there are people that that don't really honor it and can't do it and so once that happens then you start to change the rules mm -hmm. right so that you you could now take the focus off of that and try to make it something under the under the under the uh, the blanket of well this is you know all of our music now and which it is it's something to be shared but there's something that you have to to acknowledge and I think that's the, that was the bigger uh, uh, message uh, that that we want to get out. 
I get you exactly what you're talking about. And I think that I hear you, hear you both being really careful about how you're talking about race. And also, this is your profession. You're not trying to ostracize people or make, as you said, like this is also music for everybody. And I think part of why I wanted to talk to you is because I think this is an issue that is rising to the surface even more at this time where we have to learn how to like talk about um, race and appropriation and culture in this country in a way that doesn't make people feel like, like as an example, you're talking about let's be honest about the history. Let's know the history of jazz. Let's let's celebrate it. Right. And so often we just say, oh, like during Obama era, we're in a post-racial society like that. It wasn't true then. And so I think that um, being able to honor history and celebrate black music is important without it feeling like that means that it's not white or not for white people or white people can't be part of it and getting our society to a place where we can have that conversation and allow that to be without saying it's racist or exclusionary is important. So. And it's, and it's funny. I mean, you know, if, if you have people, if, uh, if you have a, a people who aren't Chinese, for example, and they're playing, you know, Chinese ethnic ethnic music, and someone says, oh, "Oh, you know, that's Chinese music you're playing," they're not going to say, "Oh, this isn't Chinese music; it's everybody's music." They're not right. going to say that about that. Right. It's Chinese music, and everybody can play it, and maybe everybody can innovate in it, but it comes from a certain place, and you can't, you know, for lack of a better word, whitewash that or, or take that away and just say that it's everybody's music. It's not everybody; it's Chinese people's music. We're playing it; we play it well. You know what I mean? And yeah, of course, and that's and that's very important. That's a very important distinction to make. You know, uh, and you mentioned something in last in the last statement that you made, and 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 it's sad that we we can't because I don't necessarily think that I'm being careful in 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 picking the words that that I'm picking to talk to you about this. I, it's been something that I've always felt. Um, so there's, there's, I'm not, there's, there's no trepidation in that, in that, in that aspect. Um, I think that all of us, if, if we're raised in a certain type of way that's respectful anyhow, then the words that we choose are, are, are something that are, are very conscious. Yeah. And so therefore, I, you know, I don't look at it as well. You know, let me be politically correct about anything. What's 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 happening in the states now uh, is 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 a rough thing. You know, now like we said, we started the group in 2013, and certainly there was no Trump on the forecast at that point. But now we're in a situation where, you know, you know, for lack of a better you know phrase, things are about to pop off. Uh, very soon and it makes it hard because now everybody's very sensitive everybody's very sensitive in a way that that is completely different than the 60s the 70s the 80s because i mean look every era had its it had its boiling point you know i mean we're all kids of the 80s you know born in the 70s came up in the 80s we saw that in the 90s was particularly explosive mm -hmm. you know i remember riots in new york i remember riots in california mm -hmm. you know so it's it's but at that point people weren't afraid to to express themselves now what's interesting is that people are afraid mm -hmm. to sit to to express themselves or to acknowledge anything right. you know because we want to and and we shouldn't be afraid to have to claim ownership to something. Right. You know, like you said, it's Chinese music. You know, 
Now, the reason why it's not going to be whitewashed, um, in a sense, is because really in this country, when it comes to race, nobody ever mattered. It's always been black and white. Mm -hmm. It's always been black and white, foremost in anything. Yeah, there's, look, there's been racial undertones from for every backdrop, and from, but really, you can't get past that until you really deal with the black and white issue. Right. The states. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You were just talking about expressing yourself, and since music is your expression, can you talk a little bit about how you're using art and making some political statement through the music of this collective? Can you talk a little bit about what you see the role of art and social change as? You know, as far as the specifics of, of, of the songs being influenced by, like for example, with Black Art Jazz Collective, we, have, we generally write compositions influenced by um, African-American icons and, and uh, you know, political figures and, uh, and uh, black artists. Um, but it's not so much about um, specific melodies being inspired by, you know, Sojourner Truth or something like that. It's I think it's more about what we, at least for me, it's more about what we as um, black men represent. Like, uh, you know, we're trying to be a positive role model. We we're just trying to present this music in a dignified way. So for me, you know, we're traveling around the world. We meet all kinds of people, and they're really they're moved by the music because we're. we're we're you know really ta- ta- yeah we're talented musicians <laughs> we write music and and that's what we do whether we whether the music is inspired by Barack Obama or not I right. mean that's that's the way that is but I think what's been happening you know, we've we've just completed two big European tours in the last several months and what's been happening is like I said of course people love the music but they're really appreciative that we are unapologetic about celebrating um, black culture in the way that we mm-hmm. are and they're they're appreciative that we are positive role models and that we right. and and that um and that we're again unapologetic about that. I mean, that's that for me. That's how this is making making a big difference. I mean, and um, you know, we don't have the big label, record label, or financial support yet that we want. But um, that that um, that support from from people when we travel around the world is is so strong that uh, you know I, I see the difference that the music makes on people. You know, I, without a doubt, people come up to me after every gig. And again, not only just talk about how great the music is, but just talk about how great it is to see um, black men up there being positive and talking about black culture in this mm. way. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about that, too, is that, and this is something to think about, is that we get that reaction everywhere except for the yeah, States. The States. I mean, I mean, and and, and, and let me at let least me not let as me, much. Let, in a yeah, sense. yeah. Because I got to say, the first track. the first gig we did at Dizzy's, uh, several black people came up to me like, "Man, but we're so glad that you guys are doing but this." Black people, right, right? See, here's what I'm saying, and 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 that's not to again. I you know, I'm sorry, I generalized on that, so I'll, I'll backpedal just a bit and say that there there have been appreciative audiences that we played to in the states. Truthfully, we haven't really played that much in the states. And that's an economic thing more so than being shut out. It's just, you know, scheduling and economics. But the thing that we found is that, you know, we went on tour. We were in Greece and Italy and France and all these places is that we have much more of an appreciation from not just black folks. Matter of fact, most of the audience is white uh, to the effect that Wayne is talking about. 
Yeah. So when you said you, it's an economic factor, is it just an economic factor or is there a greater appreciation of jazz overseas than, than well, in Well, it's country? just, unfortunately, it's supported, it's supported more overseas. So there's, there's more of a budget to bring us there and, and, and more of an enthusiasm to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when things are from, you know, when things are homegrown, they're less appreciated. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the way that is. Um, you know, you have six people traveling is, is a hard thing. So that's what I mean. Really, that's more of what I meant. Economic is just you know, once you get past the scheduling, because of the pedigree of the band, of the members of the band, and what we bring and what we do day to day in our schedules, it's you can't just be like, all right, uh, let's get everybody together next week. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to schedule stuff far in advance because people have uh, gigs that they they're doing all the time. So, I mean, that, but then once you get past that, I mean, it is, it is an economic, it can be an economic hardship to make sure that, uh, that we can get around and get this message out and still, you know, at the end of the day, make a living. <laughs> and I'll just add, you know, more specifically to your question about social change and how, how the music affects it. I mean, people, again, people that aren't, uh, that familiar with with the music with jazz uh, when they hear it live it's a whole nother thing and right. they, they can't believe they haven't heard it before they can't believe how awesome it is i mean that's i never i mean i always have that experience no one you know that's uh, that's undeniable um but the other thing is is that i don't want to be preaching from the stage all the time right. but it is i think it's 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 nice and for me i almost feel like i have a little bit of an obligation to just say a little bit of something. I mean, you can't live in a world. You can't live in the world right now with, with that's so divisive. With you know, uh, you know, with I'm not even gonna get into the specifics of it. But you can't. I don't really understand how an artist can live in this world right now and be fortunate enough to travel all over the world and not make some small statement, not negative, but some small statement as to just peace, unity, or you know, mentioning something that's that's happened in, and, and having people in your thoughts or making something, and I don't really understand how people, how you can be on a stage and have an audience of hundreds or thousands of people yeah. listening to you. You have the ear of a thousand people right, that just heard it. you blow their mind and make some amazing yeah. music. And I don't really understand how a lot of people, a lot of artists actually don't take the opportunity just to say one small thing mm. that could make a huge difference. I'm curious as artists of your generation, of our generation in jazz, kind of following these jazz greats and then playing with some of them, how has it been to kind of find your own voice and your own sound with audiences that maybe were expecting to hear a certain kind of bebop or big band jazz or something and kind of how has that been in this generation for you as, as musicians of your caliber? Let me see if I can follow you. You you want to know... Like when you get up on stage, people want to hear you play like John Coltrane's, you know, solo from, you know, exactly how he played it. Or how much kind of space do you have to grow, evolve the art form? Because it's a living art form, right? And yet it kind of is famous for a particular era of time. And how much do the audiences kind of want to see you replicate a certain jazz era of time? I I think the audiences today are hipper. 
I think what you're describing is an 80s mentality brought on by a certain, you know, sect of people that live in Manhattan. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, you know. Good. You, you I'm glad if you feel like it's past. That's well, great. Well, you know, here's the thing. You mentioned, you know, that we've played with certain cats from a generation, past generation. And everybody that I played with has been unilaterally uh, into the advancement of the music. Mm-hmm. You know, I, look, I've been playing with Lewis Hayes, let's say, for 20 years. Now, in that, in that time, we've been celebrating the music of Cannibal Adderley. We certainly have, but we don't do it like, yes, let's let's do it exactly, do sure. Cannonball solo and that solo exactly like that. We play the arrangements, but, I mean, Lewis was way past that music after he left the band, so he doesn't want to go back to that, you know, and and the artists that, you know, those, those that, that, that generation has always been very careful about letting us know, look, look we got to move forward. Good. You know, I remember talking to Slide Hampton, I remember talking to Jimmy Heath, and, you know, they were even saying, you know, it's time for things to, to, to you know, evolve past what we've already hmm. set forth. So, I mean, I think, and I, and I think the audiences are ready for that and, 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 and are, are, are hip enough to deal with it. It's mm-hmm. just that it's, there's a certain establishment um, sometimes that could put things in a museum. And it's jazz, like you said, living art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it, you look. You want to hear classical music? You can go and hear the museum piece, and it's always going to sound the same type of way. Maybe the conductor might have a different way of how he wants to swell this line, but it's still the same piece of music. With jazz, it's got to live, and so therefore we can't be playing. Thing. I mean, we could all. We're all able to do it because of how we studied and getting getting the lines down and getting the phrasing down and understanding the mentality of the those musicians but we we're past we we're trying to break past that and the only way to do it is to really be set in your ways of breaking past that but also respecting what happened that's where divide happens generation you know from from a generation standpoint is there are people that are in the younger generations that understand very well that they got to move past that, and they're doing a good job. Sometimes, to be in order to be controversial, they'll be like, uh, "Well, yeah, forget that stuff in the past," you know. When it shouldn't be like that. It's 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 like growing up. You know what I mean? You're your own person. I'm my own person. Wayne's his own person. But I dare any one of us to say, "Yeah, forget my grandparents. Forget you know. You're not gonna do that." You see, and it's the same thing with music. I do think I agree 100. Um, percent I do think traveling. I've you know I've run into people and met people who want to hear a certain thing, who will ask for some you know for some Duke Ellington or whatever, and um, you know because that's what they know and maybe that's what they heard. Maybe maybe they're fortunate enough to hear that live or that's what they listen to. But once they hear us play, you know the the music the music uh, speaks for yeah, itself. Absolutely. I mean, if you hear a high level uh, jazz group, and if you're at all open to anything it's gonna it's gonna affect you you know so even if you go in there thinking that you want to hear um some charlie parker and you don't um you're you're gonna you're gonna right it'll still be amazing Yeah. yeah definitely
I'm curious about if you guys think about trying to grow the audience in America of people appreciating jazz and how, as musicians, you feel like you can influence that at all. Well, I, I do, and that's one one of the other reasons why I put this group together, and I and I hope to expand it in many ways. And one, and one is, um, you know, of course, the educational aspect of it. Um, I really think it's important that uh, um, that all kids of all races, but uh, American kids, know that this is an American art form and comes out of their culture. And uh, to to add to that, of course, I want I want all all African American kids to know that this is their culture, this is their music, and to realize that it's hip, not just something that like. Um, you know, some old white people play or something right. or or something that, oh, yeah, well, it's kind of cool, like old people play it. They got to know that this is like their music. This is the foundation of hip-hop. This is the foundation for, for, for their, their their culture, right. of their culture. So um, that's an important aspect of the music for me is, is educating um, young people about the music. Yes, what he said. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is this, is, you know, there's now it seems to be a resurgence of live music being seen you know in live bands and that in itself is educational and that's something that draws you into it whether you i mean some people i mean because there was a time and there still is a time there still is we're still in a time where you say jazz and people think oh lord i don't know if i could sit through this you know because they it's just there's a stigma about it that is boring especially because people say shh shh you know Somebody's playing. Shh, shh, listen to what they're playing. You know, so I I I don't know exactly. I can't profess to say that I've got the perfect way of getting past that and 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 getting people on board and growing the audience. Uh, but one thing's for sure is that we just got to keep on playing, and and uh, and affecting as many people as possible. You know, it's always this. This is an oral business. You know, and and it's and it's aided by the social media that that now exists that didn't exist when we were kids, so that's a very important tool. But it, you know, more than that, it's still very oral. You know, oh man, you got to check this cat out. Check this cat out. You know, so I mean, we've got a work cut out for us. We we do. Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with jazz sort of the same way you did because it was a part of our culture here growing up in New Haven. Like all middle school, high school, totally. through music programs, through ECA, through this school where we sit right now. You're yep. about to do a concert at Neighborhood Music School. And then we all moved to New York. And so right. we were all going to clubs together. Follow, I was following all you guys who ended up going to music school. Right. And so that was how I fell in love with jazz. And you're right, seeing it live, like I could sit there and watch like a upright ba you know, bass player all night or like an amazing drummer just sitting like two feet away from, from a drummer and watching them just like hold down the rhythm but then pull out all these different right. <laughs> tools and it's like right. it's like someone painting a picture that's on the, the drum thing set. if, some, if someone's not amazing. familiar with it and they just hear it on an album like on right. a Miles Davis album they're like, they might be like eh, I don't know I don't really like drum yeah. solo you know they have no idea but sitting there, live sitting there and feeling and else. feeling that, yeah. that, that energy is yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we got to go. But Wayne, I just got to ask you, since you're sitting here, please, right where you went to school, studied music as a, as a very young person. How do you feel being back here and what does it mean to you coming back here? It's wonderful. I mean, uh, I, I always love coming back here and, and it, it makes me feel good that people want me to come back here mm -hmm. and, that, and that appreciate um, the accomplishments that I've uh, made so far and I hope to uh, be able to contribute 
to uh, the New Haven scene as much as I can. Yeah, well, you're known here. Well, People are proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right, we got to let you go do your sound check. Thank you guys very much for talking not just about music, but about race, politics, and all that other stuff. Thank you, Tegan. Much Tegan. appreciated. Thanks. Check out our website, thetableunderground.com, to find lots more info, including past episodes, videos, photos, recipes, and so much more. You can listen to the show through podcasting sites, and please leave a review on iTunes to help other people find us.